0: This podcast is brought to you by Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours. This is Love Notes with Julie and Jonathan.
1: This is Julie.
0: And this is Jonathan, and you are listening to Love Notes with Julie and Jonathan. So. Good thing that we're the ones who are here. Um, <laughs> hey, Julie. How are you? Hey, Jonathan. I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. What do you want what, to, what should we talk about? What What's going on right now that-, uh, that I had a, a new book be... release.
1: I had a book release, so that's- You
0: certainly did. I certainly did.
1: <laughs> Pretty uh, day I'm... released on Monday, so that was good.
0: Uh, now Monday is not your usual release day. Why did you pick a Monday this time?
1: I picked a Monday because there was no pre-order. So, so I don't think it mattered. And I thought maybe I could get a day to myself, you know, where I could get everybody excited about a book that's not Tuesday when everybody's books come out, you know?
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And it actually, um, beautifully and accidentally, I don't think we planned this, queues up uh, a question that we got that I, I was curious, I've been eager to ask you. Uh, we, uh, of course, ask for everyone listening to submit questions either to the website or to the Facebook group, Shrike Bikes, facebook.com slash Shrike Bikes. Uh, if you're not a member, please join. Um, and this was one of the ones that was submitted through Facebook. And I think it's a good one. And it speaks to what you were just saying. And you ask this question to other writers all the time. And it's a good one to ask. Do you Chris wants to know? And it seems to me, I just, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, but it seems like Chris is asking this because maybe Chris is the, uh, It's not just asking out of curiosity, but also because Chris is maybe trying to maybe do something in the romance world, it seems like. The question is, if you were an aspiring romance author starting out today, what would you do differently than you did years ago?
1: Uh, I really don't think I would do anything different. I think I actually did almost everything right.
0: And what does that mean? Like, what did you do right particularly that you feel proud of?
1: I feel like I... I caught the momentum. So that was luck, right? The first book was luck, the first romance book. But then I worked and worked and worked and wrote and wrote and wrote and I did not stop. And I think that's, I mean, if you want to do this full time, that's what you do. And it's still true. It's still true today.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Can Can I also offer one other thing? And this is something that I feel like people don't necessarily like to talk about, but it is just fundamentally true. Everything that we talk about, when you discuss with the writers that we're chatting with on this show, how they start or what their, you know, what their MO is, or when you talk about how you did it, it all presumes a base level of talent, right?
1: Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, I i mean, I mean don't want to discourage people from trying to be a writer, but...
0: Of course you know. no no and I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that's what I'm suggesting at all. I think anybody who has a passion something yeah. should try it. But I think that that it's that you you're saying all of this uh about I worked really hard and I didn't stop and whatever and that is all the other gear. But then there's also the presumption that people were interested in reading the things that you created. And that's based on you having a unique voice that people wanted to read.
1: I think I have a unique voice and I think I got that because I wrote science books for kids. I really do. That's where that voice really came from because I wrote in second person when I wrote those books, which is weird, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: all in second person. Like I was talking to the kid um, Mm -hmm. when I was explaining the science stuff so when I fitch, when I switched to first person, it just that's just the voice I had. So I think that is one thing. The second thing is I, I have lived a very full life and I had a lot of shit to say. You know what I mean? Right. And I yeah. put it all in those books. And I think that's another thing that you can't replicate that, right? Because Probably. like that's all that shit I wrote, it was about me. Right. So if somebody else has stuff like that in their head and they can get those stories out, then I think that's good. You're probably a storyteller. But some people don't, you know.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with I mean, I I think I agree with you. Like, I don't want to discourage anybody and there's nothing wrong. And you'll find out pretty goddamn quick, uh, I feel like, whether or not um, writing is for you. Because also the sheer endurance that being a writer requires will be tested straight away and you'll know whether you can, whether you can hang with that or not. I think, you know, what's interesting for me is that one of the most, the most frustrating thing isn't, isn't if somebody is working on their craft and getting better at it and it takes some time to find their audience and their voice and whatever. That's one thing, you know, the tragedy for me is always, and you and I know people like this, people who really are very good. And just for whatever reason, can't find their audience.
1: Yeah. Cause it's hard. It's just, I mean, of, it's the same thing as being an actor, Jonathan, like it's, yeah. uh, being a writer, being a rock star, being an actor, it's all the same stuff. It's just really hard.
0: Yeah. That's being a poet, being a it. painter.
1: Yes. An artist. Yes.
0: Brian Cranston, who was, you know, the star of Breaking Bad, uh, was once asked (laughs) uh what does it take to make it in this business because he was you know he was just a journeyman actor just going along doing his thing for 20 plus years before he became famous on breaking bad and he said well he goes so uh you have to have talent but that's not enough you also have to have a work ethic but that's not enough you also have to have will and resilience and patience and endurance but that's not enough. You also, and they listed like all the things that you have to have and kept saying, and that's not enough. and That's not enough. And finally someone said, okay, well, so, so then what is enough? He goes, the last ingredient. And they were like, oh, okay, great. What's the last ingredient? He goes, luck.
1: Yeah. It's luck. It's all of that. And then luck. And you can have all of that and don't have the luck and it doesn't happen. And I can also say this. I am almost 50 years old. My kids are 22, I don't even know. 22 and 28 or something like that.
0: You're you're hilarious.
1: But like if uh, I had done this when I was 31, I couldn't do this, right? It's just wouldn't have been possible. Because my kids because were younger and I was in grad school and it's like, you know, the stars had to align.
0: Right. Yeah, timing. Timing is yeah, every single timing. thing. This, this relationship is an incredible example of that. This relate you and I, what we have going, the stuff that we have going on right now, which by the way, for those of you who have been curiously following what this new project that Julie and I, this new TV deal we have, uh, we will soon be able to tell you that it looks like the final terms are being settled between the lawyers and we will sign. And once we have signed it, we can talk more about it. Um, but the timing on everything that's happening with you and me wouldn't have happened five years ago. Like we wouldn't be in the And you couldn't
1: have planned that. We could not have planned this one if we Not in tried. a million years.
0: Not in a million years. It's insane. It just it's, it, yeah.
1: happened, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it happened because like you say- Yeah, it had, had a happen. lot of
1: things that came before. But like two years ago, we couldn't have said, hey, let's do this. It made right. no sense two years ago.
0: So the answer is this probably the same if it's the same thing you would have done when you started and it's the same thing you do now, it'll be the same thing in 20 years and 50 years and a hundred years is just go. As, if you're talking about a career in the arts and that's what we're talking about, yeah. you just go as hard as you can and you try not to give up. And, uh, and then eventually it either happens or it doesn't. And on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> now that everybody's uh, depressed yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome to love notes uh, um, but for but let's let's talk about someone who has had some good success and who has a new audiobook coming out uh, and this is a chance for us to also give a big shout out to our producer and uh our audiobook publisher oh my audiobooks the oh-so-talented friend of Love Notes Podcast and Oh My Audiobooks, Pam Godwin, has another smoking hot romance coming out. It, right. is called, it is called Devastate, and it's devastatingly good. Uh, I didn't write that, by the way. Um, this is <laughs> <laughs> Tate is on the hunt to find his best friend's sister, Lucia She was abducted 11 years ago, and so when he follows a chilling lead to Venezuela's Kidnap Alley, which is just the worst alley, uh, what he finds is neither a corpse nor a captive. I'm not going to tell you what he finds, though. But the price of love is devastation. And Tate, motherfucker Tate, will pay. Featuring the great golden pipes of J.F. Harding and Tracy Marks and releasing on April 30th, Devastate is available for pre-order on Audible. So if you do not have a membership, go get a 30-day trial and check out Devastate. Um, That question that question that we had uh, asked of us or the question was asked of you. um, The answer is don't give up, don't quit, work hard, do the best you can. Um, Which also dovetails nicely into uh, another question that we got from someone. And again, thank you for your questions. Tasha has asked, what motivates you to get up every morning? Do you ever take a duvet day? Which is a lovely Mm -hmm. phrase. Uh, If you do, This is actually three questions. If you do, what is your go-to film to watch that you never get bored of? Well, okay, so what motivates you to get up every morning?
1: I mean, I'm motivated by deadlines and I make all the deadlines, so that makes no sense, right? So, (laughs) but, right, it doesn't make any sense because I'm in charge of all the deadlines. Um, But I always have a deadline and I always give myself a deadline and I don't always make the writing part but I always make the release part. So I just always have a release day in mind that I want to hit it. So that's right. why I get up.
0: Do you ever take a duvet day?
1: Um, Like a whole day?
0: Yeah. No. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, me either. <laughs> me either. Can't like do even it. if I, I sleep
1: it. in, if I sleep in to like eight, because like that's sleeping late for me.
0: Oh, very late for you. Yeah. Um,
1: like I just get right on the computer and if I don't have to write that day, then I'm like, oh, well, I have 50 other things that I'm behind on um, right. that take place in the office, you know.
0: But but you do pa- you will pause for lunch and you have lunch and you'll pause sometimes in the yeah. afternoon to watch a little Netflix or something. Yeah. Um, so do yeah, you have I take a like movie? a three-hour
1: lunch. I do take a yeah. three-hour lunch. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do, do you have a, a movie that's your go-to for like when you're – if you're sick, if you're like sick and you just don't want to get out of bed and it's like there's nothing on or you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I can always enjoy watching. Is Do you have something like that?
1: Yeah, I have two movies that I will watch and I'll never get tired of. One – you'll probably love both of them, but I know you love this one. It's Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? It's yeah. Like my top one movie with yeah. The Fifth Element – like those are
0: my two two go-to movies. That sums you up so perfectly. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> that is so you. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, mine is uh, my, my answer to the questions are basically like, like Julie, my, my, what motivates me to get up isn't deadlines particularly, uh, although I'm always on them, but it's just, um, it's just, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what the next day is going to, what the day is going to hold. And so, uh, usually, so it's a where the day takes you and a thirst for adventure kind of a thing that gets me out of bed. Uh, I rarely take a whole day if I'm sick, but my movie is, um, it's a little cliche cause a lot of people have it, but it's Shawshank. Uh, oh, I can that's watch a good one too. The, the Shawshank Redemption. But you know why? Because, because the movie, it's a movie about hope that's yeah, like it's a, and about. it's got a
1: great, and he wins, right? Like he's, yeah. I mean, it's a long journey, but he wins and you just love that.
0: When he, for, I actually recently narrated a, a, a novel by T.C. Boyle, uh, who's, you know, a literary fiction writer. And it's, it's actually just out. I think the audiobook's just out like last week, maybe. But um, the word, the, 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 Siwataneo, which is where they go at the end of uh, of the movie, is appears in the text of the book about, I don't know, 75, 80 times. And I didn't bother to cross check it because I'm like, I've seen Shawshank a million times. So and Morgan Freeman's my motherfucking man. So I just said it the way he says it in the movie, and apparently it's not quite right. So I (laughs) I had to go back and do like a hundred pickups. Yeah. I had to go. So the movie made made a lot more work for me recently. I'm not going to hold that against it. That's my fault. It's still my go-to movie. Um, so thank you for those questions, Tasha. And again, please uh, seek us out on the internet, ask us questions. Um, I, I don't know. I like answering them. I think it's, I think it's cool that you're curious. Yeah, I like them I'm, too. And I'm glad to to be able to. And, and we in. could
1: just answer these in the fan group, but it's better to, it's like cool to talk about it, you know?
0: Yeah, well, on the fan group, just like you and I will catch it, we'll we'll catch a, a wind behind ourselves, and then we'll just go back and forth in a private conversation in front of everybody anyway. So we may, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like typing back and forth. So we may as well just do it here. Um today's conversation that's coming up next. It's with Kathleen Brooks. Uh Kathleen is so. Lovely. And like Julia Kent is a member of an online writers group that Julie has been a long time member of and invited me into. So we already knew each other slightly just on the internet, but it was our first time. It was your first time hearing her voice too,
1: right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's great. And, uh, and she's, I don't think it makes it into the final edit that you all will hear, but at one point her, her daughter came in and was like, mom, can I do this? And then will you help me with my homework. And it was just like, interesting to the point that you were making earlier about if your kids were young and how do you do this and how do you negotiate Mm -hmm. this? Um, we talk a little with Kathleen about that balancing act and, and she gets very personal about some stuff that has happened recently in her life and how that has informed her writing. Uh, and it's a great conversation. So, Uh, that is now, and then we will be back after to catch you up on a couple of things and say goodbye. But for the moment, please enjoy this conversation with Kathleen Brooks. Uh, so. On the phone uh, with me and Julie is Kathleen Brooks. Kathleen is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling author. Uh, Her book series include the Bluegrass series, uh, the Women of Power series, and her latest, the Web of Lies series. Uh, And she will, I presume, talk about all of these things. Kathleen, hi.
1: Welcome, Kathleen. Hello. Thank you so much for
0: having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Now like, it's, it's funny, right? You, you don't ever meet people in person when you meet them online, but you feel like you quote unquote, know them. We sort of quote unquote, know each other because, uh, you and Julie were in an online writers group that you graciously invited me to be a part of. And so we have actually had some back and forth, but this is our first time talking in person. So, um, so I'm excited to, to hear, to hear your voice. And it sounds like you're from sort of where I'm from. I'm from South Carolina. Are you originally from the South?
2: I am. I'm from Kentucky in Lexington. So, horse
1: country. Okay. Well, I love Kentucky because I love the racehorses.
2: <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the bourbon. <laughs> The whiskey? I <laughs> don't oh, no, no. Gotta go. Bourbon, not whiskey. Bourbon.
1: <laughs> yeah, bourbon is different. Uh,
0: so, Kathleen, why can you tell? So, can you tell us a little? Because uh, uh, not everybody may know, and even for those who do, it's always cool to hear the origin story. How you became a superhero? Uh, um, can you talk a little about what you were doing before, and then how you decided to start writing romance?
2: Yes. Yeah, so. I was a lawyer beforehand, and I thought my story was unique, but there are a ton of romance authors that were attorneys. Um, I think it's because romance authors have better conventions. They're a lot more fun than lawyer ones. (laughs) Um, And I was frustrated. Romance was my... Go to for you know getting lost after a really tough case or you know having a particularly hard day with a client or something. Were were
0: you sorry to interrupt? Were you a trial lawyer? Were you a litigator?
2: Well, I I did a little bit of everything. Um, It was a small town law firm, so I did a little bit of everything. And yeah, and so one thing that they don't tell you in law school is they tell you how to do everything, and then you become a lawyer, and the judges tell you don't do any of that. So, um, <laughs> right. curve. um, and so after, um, I took the bar exam, one of my friends sent me on a vacation with books, like a suitcase of romance books. And it was great because it was a way to relax and it was a way to get transported into a different world. And so I continued to read, um, during, you know, hard times at work and everything, but I had had a baby and I had a story that had just replayed over and over again in my mind. And it wasn't a whole story. It was just this one scene over and over again for probably like six months. And I finally decided I was going to sit down. I was going to write it. So I put the baby to sleep. My husband was watching football. And I just pulled out my laptop, and I just wanted to write this one scene. And I was like, maybe if I just write it down, it'll leave me alone. And by the time I finished writing, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And um, it was hands down this feeling that came over me that was like, oh, this brings me such joy. And um, I guess you could say the rest is history after that.
0: And what year was that?
2: Okay. So that was in, I started writing in 2010 and, um, and when I actually got about six chapters in, my husband... Told me, he's like, You know, you should write this, you should write a book. There's this thing called self publishing now. And, um, and so I was like, Oh, well, here's six chapters.
1: <laughs> um, well, your husband was really on top of this because back then hardly anybody knew about self publishing.
2: I know. And, you know, it was one of those things. Um, he was in uh, marketing beforehand, and so he was checking out some. Post on something. I don't even know how he figured it out, but he had run across run across um, Conraths, Jay Conrafs, yeah, yeah, just way way back when he first started doing it, and so that's how he learned about it. And so um, knowing that I was working full time and we had this baby, and you know I didn't think anything was going to come of this. You know who's going to want to buy one of my stories that was going in my head, and um, and I didn't want to be tied down by a contract and a deadline. Um, and since, again, since I was a lawyer, I'm very tough on myself on those. I I don't miss deadlines. And so I was scared about being able to fulfill it if I even was able to sell it. And so he suggested going the self-publishing route. And, um, and so I, you know, it took us a little while. I had to finish my book and he had to, you know, learn what to do. And, um, I still remember sitting there learning you know sitting there just waiting until he said okay we're ready and we pushed that button <laughs> and it went out into the world
0: <laughs> and, and then, then what that happened first one go? Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah we're both like oh and then what happened next
2: you know i think i had like it, you, you know it was back then you didn't have that much that many options so it was through smashwords yeah and um i remember it like a couple days later we checked it and like one person bought it i it was like oh my gosh you know and um, and by that point, I, I was hooked. I didn't care if anyone was going to buy it or not. I, I, you know, the reason I was writing was because I, I've always been one of those daydreaming type people. And and while that's kind of, I guess, opposite of what a lawyer should be, you know, I'm very <laughs> analytical and everything, and very reasonable and rational and and logical and everything. But. I have that flip side. And so, um, I had already started working on the second book because I just found such joy in it. You know, writing was just fun. And so I was already writing on the second book and we had already decided, well, let's just see what happens. <laughs> you know, and you know, first year, you, know, you don't I, we I did not become an overnight success. Um, but I wrote, Two more books because I, I started my first book was all about small town Kentucky, which is exactly where I live. My whole family's from upstate New York, and they would just laugh about Kentucky. They thought that we were <laughs> sure. the people like, do you have McDonald's? I'm like, yes, I have McDonald's. <laughs> well, plus, my McDonald's is better because we have biscuits and gravy for breakfast. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right.
0: Damn right. Um,
2: and so the whole concept was this New York lawyer having to run for her life and ending up in this small town where, you know, going to the sales did not mean mean going to Bloomingdale's It meant going to the horse sales. (laughs) Yeah. And and so it was an adjustment period for her. And well, when I got started and I got sucked into it, it was like, I was a reader myself and I was like, I don't want to leave. And so I gave one of my characters five brothers so I wouldn't have to leave the town. (laughs) 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 And and so, you know, first, I don't know. I I guess it was, Um, first published July and I wrote three more books or two more books after the first one. And, um, I went to, I was working for a nonprofit. I stopped, I stopped being a lawyer, um, ironically, just a couple months after my first book. And, um, then I was a lawyer for, for a charity that I helped set up for for a person who wants to help animals. And so, um, I was actually up in New York city for work. And, um, back then there was a website called pixel of ink. Do you guys remember? Yes. Okay. Oh my
1: God. That's how I got my first break too. Yes.
2: And so my husband called me and he was like, so I did this thing. <laughs> and I was like, well, what did you do? And he was like, well, I made bluegrass state of mind your first book free and pixel of Ink found it. And by the way, you had like, you know, 80,000 downloads in 12 hours.
0: Holy shit. And,
2: exactly. And I was like, well, I can't be mad at you now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then my, my fourth book hit USA Today. And I, wow. and it was, it was that, you know, pixel of ink that really got me out there. Um And, and then I could, I I started working full time as an author after that. And, and really just, I haven't, lost that
0: joy one bit what a wonderful one i mean like truly like you're you know no wonder you're a great writer you're a great that's a great story you told and told very well um <laughs> I, there was there you mentioned that you had stopped practicing the kind of law and were working with the charity in the, the the charity for the animals and did that just happen concurrent with the writing incidentally or did the writing inspire you to say you know what i want to move away from what i've been doing
2: no, it was totally um, an accident. It, it, there was no correlation. It was one of those things where I, I'm a very firm believer of if something happens, it's for a reason and sure. and that you can make of it what you will. And so um, we had hit a period where there was um, some trouble with banks in the area with mortgages because the, the housing bubble just burst around here while well, it did nationally. And so we our, the firm again, small, wasn't bringing in the money. And so um, I was like, Oh, <laughs> I can see the rating on the wall. Yeah. And uh, my boss even called me in and was like, Oh, we're having money issues. And I left and I was on that phone. The whole drive home, which is illegal in Kentucky, uh, and, <laughs> um, and two hours later, I had this job, and it was one of those destiny things. I, I you know, like I said, I'm a big believer. Is if it's some, if something's meant to be, it's going to be. And um, it, we had a dear friend um, who was very blessed financially, and she had been secretly paying off people's vet bills in um, Los Angeles. And um, so she called me and said, I want to hire you to start this charity. And so I was the lawyer setting up this charity um, for her, and it's still in operation. Um, And so we help fund uh, emergency grants to save pets' lives for people who can't afford uh, the emergency vet bill. I think for. that's amazing. Yeah. So we actually just approved one today. Uh, <laughs> and, and we're Helping a little cat out. Um, and so, it, so it, that just kind of happened. And part of my conversation with her was, I mean, because honestly that first, you know, that first six months, I, you know, I, I did not make a lot of money. You know? <laughs> You're know, you selling it for 99 cents on Smashwords. Right. And, you know, I hadn't taken off at that point yet. And, um, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so when I talked to her about, you know, setting up this charity and doing this work for her. um, It was with the understanding that um, if I got done early, I'd have that extra time to to work on books. And she's been nothing but supportive and let me step down when I was able, when I completed all my work, I I stepped down, handed it off to a wonderful director. And, um, and then at that point decided I did not need to do another job and became a full-time writer
1: Full time writer, wow, that is amazing.
0: has your Has your writer's voice sort of remained consistent over these last few years, or has has it evolved as your circumstances and your your life has changed?
1: Well,
2: I I think it's still the same, but I think it's been tweaked. You know, um, with practice, everyone gets better, <laughs> and sure. I feel like that's that's kind of the way I am. I'm a lot more secure and confident in my writing now. Um, Like I said, that first book took me a year to write. Well, now I can write a book in three months. And I know that's, that's probably slow to some people, but that's my happy place. Um, I can still make it to my daughter's track meets and uh, volleyball games and everything and still do my work um, and get my books out on time. And so um, i just now feel much more confident in my writing. And so I think it's, um, I think it's probably evolved. Uh, I'm kind of a little scared to go back and read my first book, <laughs> but <laughs> my readers don't have any problem with it. So I don't have any problem with it.
1: What is the name of that first series? So everybody knows. I so said the very
2: first book is bluegrass state of mind. Okay. And it was supposed to be a one book deal, but like I said, I fell in love with my little town I created. So um, it's bluegrass state of mind. Risky Shot and Dead Heat. And then I gave one of the characters five brothers. So I just went straight into the Bluegrass Brothers series after that.
0: Bluegrass Brothers. I really like yeah. that. <laughs> um, I like that. That just sounds like sexy, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know. Blue, blue. I don't know. I could I could make a bunch of jokes about blue balls, but I won't. Um, so uh, I, another question I have is, so that hues somewhat in the direction of clearly a very familiar, um, environment, a very familiar world for you in which to write as you've written subsequently and, uh, done other things like the, the web of lies series, for example, or I'm super intrigued by the women of power series, like where the women are the billionaires is that, do those books feel like they occupy a, a similar headspace in terms of this is familiar and I understand it, or have you branched out and you're, Dipping your toe in things that are a little further afield from your normal life.
2: Again, the confidence from writing more books, I have stepped out of my comfort zone. Um, Women of Power came about, honestly, because I had watched um, The Men Who Built America on the History Channel. I don't
0: know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: So I went, well, geez, (laughs) women can be these strong billionaire leaders, too. And, And so that's actually where the that idea came from. Um, you know, and I also, I'm very close with my family. Um, my, my parents own their own company. Uh, my mom was the first woman underwriter. She, there was an insurance company. My mom was the first woman underwriter in Kentucky. Um, and so she, I mean, since I was born, it was, you can do anything you want. And even and my dad was like, you can do anything you want. And, um, and so I had that strong, um, confidence from them saying go get it and so i said okay i want my women to be billionaires like it was is i put those books out it was a time where i mean billionaires are still big but it was all male dominated yeah sure and and so i really wanted to show that women could break the glass ceiling too and um and it's fun it's a family and it's it still has my like i have a quirky sense of humor why my books are suspenseful it's not like um I'm going to put you in an asylum that's abandoned and haunted at midnight with no lights. Like it's not that type of suspense. <laughs> it's more mm-hmm. active. And I always break it up with some comedy. And so I have um, a very dirty minded, you know, octogenarian secretary who likes to walk around with sexy signs on her walker. And so <laughs> um, it, it also tackles at the same time, um, you know, things that every woman can relate to, you know, I, being a lawyer, a, a woman lawyer in a small town, mm-hmm. I would go into the courtroom for motion hour and I'd be like, well, little lady, you just sit here uh, and I'll take you, you know, stuff like that. Sure, and sometimes it, was, sometimes it was respectful, but sometimes it wasn't. And, um, and so I really put a lot of that into the books. And so while they're set in Atlanta and it is outside of my, Uh, knowledge. I am not a billionaire. um, and I don't run these businesses. They were still fun. They were still kind of in that wheelhouse of suspense. And while it wasn't a small town, I made it a small family. So it kind of still had that feel. Um, now the web of lies is completely different. It is much more, um, political thriller. Um, And it, it arcs over three books. The main, each book has their main character story and they get there happily ever after in each book, different characters do, but the overarching storyline continues as they try to unravel who's behind um, this potential overthrow of the government. And so um, it was a lot more difficult to research, to write um, I'm big into research. So I was talking with um, FBI and Secret Service and everything. And, mm-hmm. um, and so the amount of research and the amount of plotting um, to be able to put out little red herrings and connect the strings and everything over three books um, took a lot more time and a lot more mental energy. But man, am I proud of them. And then just recently, I just did something completely different and dipped my toe in little witchy paranormal books.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: You were showing us right. your covers, and I really That's love those moon. covers. That's
0: uh, yeah. Moonshine yeah. Hollow, right?
2: Yes. yes. So, so small Tennessee town. Um, you know, and, and this woman accidentally becomes a witch. And, um, <laughs> and it's. It's a funny, quirky little. Just, I mean, I just had a blast writing it. My daughter, who is who is ten, um, we had uh, my readers know, but uh, my father lost his battle to cancer, and this a couple months ago. And these books started when we were all down, and there was treatments, and there was physical therapy, and everything. And and so my daughter has said, one, I want something that I can, you know, potentially read, and you know, to, um, let's do something fun. And I was like, you know, that's a really great idea. What do you think would be a fun story? And she goes, um, I want a story with a witch and a black cat. And I was like, I can do that <laughs> 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 you know, I've gotten more confidence after 30 books, you know, like, you yeah, know, yeah. Hey, I'm going to give it a shot. Why not? What do I have to lose? And, um, and my dad, you know, bless his heart. He was my biggest fan and he refused to co- let me take him to anything unless I worked because he wanted to make sure my readers got their books. And he wanted to hear the stories because he was always my second read. Um, My husband reads it first and then my dad would read it because he used to be an editor. And um, I said, okay, well, here, I have this that I'm working on. And he just got a kick out of it. And so I would take him to therapy. I would sit there and write in the lobby while he did his thing. And then we'd pick up my daughter and we'd have this conversation about this you know woman who accidentally gets turned into witches and how they get their powers and who the bad guy is and, uh, and everything so it, it was way outside my comfort zone and I will tell you I had a blast writing it
1: well it sounds like you had a good time you know like family time doing it too which is awesome
2: Yes, Um, like I said, I'm lucky. Everything I've always read, they say, you know, don't have your family help you; they won't tell you the truth. Um, But they do, (laughs) at least mine does. (laughs) So, um, so it was a good time.
0: Yeah, I really love it. Saying that it's outside of your immediate wheelhouse, I get the 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 premise of that of that statement, but certainly there is that the connective tissue is the sort of relationship that you have emotionally to whatever these things that you're writing about that you're writing about. And it sounds like they're spawned of something that is, you know, meaningful to you on a personal level. And so that I'm sure that the passion care is the through line, irrespective of whether or not they, you know, it looks like your, your day-to-day purview, the, you know, personal, emotional engagement and the ability to involve your family. I mean, that's got to just be invigorating when you're writing and it must just fill the pages with all of that enthusiasm, I would think.
2: Yes, very much. You know, and my mom and dad are huge mystery readers. And so, um... I, you know, my husband will will read it for just to make sure it flows well. But I will be sitting there typing and be like, "Okay, I bet my mom can't get this because if she gets it too soon and discovers who the bad guy is, <laughs> then I have to go back and <laughs> read it." And you know, and that's something I get to do with my fans too. I, I continually think about, "Okay, what are they going to do here?" And I, I'll i throw something in just to, you know, they I joke with them all the time that I'm mean. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> possible because i will i will certainly tease them in certain sections of the books but you know i i kind of feel like it's um every book has its theme you know these the moonshine books it was a battle between good and evil you know and and unfortunately cancer won with my dad but in the books good prevailed and in you know web of lies it was these teams that of. men and women who do things for our country that people never know about and what kind of toll does it take on them? And, um, and will they be able to triumph over good and evil? And that's usually a theme in my books is good and evil. Um, and everyday heroes and military, you know, I have a wide range of, of people and a wide range of things. I like to discuss, you know, my husband thought I was crazy because I had to, um, I have forever hidden one of my books. It's about sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I really like to educate people too in the books because with the derby, it's one of the biggest sex trafficking times yeah. around.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, dog fighting. I also discuss um, drug use for teenagers. You know, and so my books, while they're lighthearted, I still always like to try to get some sort of message in there, um, just so you learn a little bit of something when you read one of my one of my books.
0: Yeah, I think that's meaningful. Do uh, do you? Do you... Julie and I have talked about this a lot lately because, you know, as you know, Julie is writing uh, a different sort of stylistic uh, set of books, a different genre, if you will, under a a different name. You write everything irrespective of what the subject matter is under Kathleen. Everything's under your own name, right?
2: Uh, It is, you know, and I had thought about it. I I was very tempted to put out my paranormal that just came out under a different name. But um, I decided not to because it was it's me. And, um, and I found a fun, cute way to connect it to my bluegrass series. Um, and when I even, when I told my readers about it, I was like, look, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't like paranormal. Um, but here you go. And the first one's free if you want to try it. And if you like it, great. If not, don't worry. It's not affecting any of my releases. It was just something I really wanted to do. And, and I had fun doing it. And that just makes me want to keep on writing more fun things.
1: Yeah. It's um, refreshing to be able to write something just because it's fun for you. Right. Cause not every story is at least not for me.
2: Yeah. There's always, well, the middle of every story is not fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, um, I have a good friend that's also an author, Heather Sinceri, who lives just, you know, 10 minutes away from me or something. And, and every middle of the book, we, we tend to call each other and we're like, Oh, I don't know if this book is going to be any good.
1: <laughs> but yeah. but oh, I think yes, if you don't long. if you don't feel that way in the middle of the book, you're probably delusional, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, theory, books, depending on your subject matter and how dark you want to go, take more of a toll on you. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't as peppy writing my Web of Lies series um, because I didn't get to do like the goofy, funny comedy that I like to do um, in, in my other books. And, um, and, and so it, you know, it, it did take more out of me emotionally. Uh, cause I think you feel your books.
1: Definitely. I, you probably, if you don't, you probably should.
2: Yeah. And so Jonathan, you said you're from, uh, I think you told me you were from South Carolina.
0: Oh yes. I'm from South I, Carolina. You know,
2: I, my second book, my Shadows Landing series, is just went off to the editor today, and it's set outside of Charleston. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: My uh, I, I I was born in Myrtle Beach. Uh, my grandmother was the city librarian there, um, so I grew up around books. And then, um, and then we lived in Charleston for yeah for like a year. I mean, Charleston's an interesting place, and you find a lot of Southern Gothic stuff. Savannah, Charleston. Because it very much has that Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil vibe to it, and it, there is that that rich Southern Gothic history that just sort of hangs over the city. And because it's right on the coast too, it feels like it's lapping at the edge of this bigger world. You know, right on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. It's 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 an interesting place to 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 set a work. Is is everything everything is contemporary that you write, right? Given just the sort of rich history of the South and all of the potential opportunities in there, have you ever thought about doing anything historically minded? And we're also, Natasha Boyd is also in this group that we're all in. And I know that she's written, I think the Indigo Girl was her last historical and it's also set in the South. I know Natasha lives down there as well. Has it ever, has it ever crossed your mind to dabble in that area at all?
2: You know, it, it has because ironically, historical is what I like to read. Um, oh, But I don't know if I can write it. You know, but of course, you know, if you asked me a year and a half ago if I was ever going to write a paranormal, I would say no. So um, I will never cross anything out. But no, I, I've, I've even thought about it. I, I've set up my bluegrass books that how the town was founded. And I was like, I could totally go and do that. Um, I've, goodness knows, I know enough, you know, regency romance stuff to, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. able to write a historical and that too. Maybe someday I will, but. Um, I have not been tempted yet. I usually, I have to be hit with a story or an idea and it just won't leave me. And that's when I write it. Uh, and so far I have not been hit with that, but I will never say never to anything.
0: How far ahead do you, is it, is it, is it pure inspiration? Is it just, I will not sit down to do this until it lands in my brain and the muse strikes me, or do you find yourself planning ahead?
2: Um, some things I get hit with and usually it's the series, like how I just was sitting there watching those, the men Rockefeller and, and um, Morgan and stuff and going, gosh, women can do that. And then it hits me and I'm like, Oh, there's my series. you know? yeah. uh, <laughs> And so mostly with series, it's like that. I just get slammed with this idea. I'm like, yes. Um, for individual books, because I write in a series, I usually know who's coming and what their personality is. And so for the first book in a series, when I, I introduce people, um, and I get to know my characters, I usually end up already having an idea of what I want to do with them. Um, and so like right now I'm researching, um, I'm researching for my next forever book, my forever bluegrass book. And, um, My hero is, is a veterinarian who owns a horse farm for horse races Mm -hmm. and, um, and his love interest is going to be a horse trainer. And so, um, I'm researching and I will learn as much as I can about, um, what goes on at racetracks and what it's like to own a horse farm. And luckily I'm really lucky. I'm very lucky in that sense is I have plenty of friends that actually own horse farms. Right. Um, and so I have, um, I have their numbers and I will use it, <laughs> to, you know, and, and, and that's what is mostly about is I like to get the feel. I don't need a specific story. I just want to hear you talk about what a daily life is like and stuff like that. So I can get a feel for your environment. And then I usually get like a hit with, Ooh, this is what I want to do with, my storyline. This is where the mystery is going to go. I usually already have like who I want the love interest to be, but then um, I say, "Okay, here's my mystery," and I usually get that in it as a it hits me when I'm doing all my research, learning about that uh, environment. Do
0: Do you write every day? Do you whether you are inspired or not? Do you force yourself into it every day?
2: Yes, I guess I'm a Nora Nora girl. <laughs> Nora. <laughs> That yeah, nerve. I very much treat it as my job. Uh, and so, uh, you know, some days I might not. You know, I, if I'm, you know, like, I'm going to take a vacation or I'm going to go speak at of school or, you know, some days I just don't feel like it. Um, but, you know, I'd say 95% of the time I'm going to be writing at least something that day.
1: I, I'm the same way. Yeah,
0: I treat it as a job. Uh, so, uh because so, yeah, because I know I you know I know that Julie's particular discipline at writing is a discipline, but it's also Julia. I, I hope it's okay for me to say this. We were at uh, a Polycon um, in Washington D.C. and uh, and halfway through the day, uh, I looked over and I was like, "How you doing? You doing okay?" you hey, holding up? She, she, and you, Julie said, "I'm I'm great. I, I want to get home." I was like, "Oh, you just done?" She was like, "And I just want to get back to work." And yeah. it really, it really struck me that you're, you Julie, are in like your happy place when you're being productive and when you're getting the work done.
1: Uh, I am. I don't know if that's normal, but, but it well, just, I guess, I, I guess. High. You get a high
2: after you write a good scene or something.
1: Yeah, it's, at least I right, right. And it feels weird not to do it. I don't know. Especially if I'm on vacation because I cannot write when I'm traveling. So I knew, like, I have so many things to do and I have so many things in my head and none of them are getting done right now while I'm, you know, out of town.
2: Yeah. Now, I can shut down for a week, but (laughs) without fail, I always take a notebook with me and I always take my laptop with me because without fail, I'll be someplace completely random and then it's like, oh it's like a perfect
0: idea <laughs> right sure yeah, yeah.
2: and so uh, because you finally relax and your brain just relaxes and, and at least mine does it this way like i take the first couple of days of vacation and it's great i'm like i don't even want to think about anything I, and then like somewhere around like day three or four it's like i'm I'm just rejuvenized. And so my brain is like, here's this idea, this idea, this idea. Yeah. Writing. I am working.
0: I've touted this before. I I feel like I've even touted it in one of our podcasts, but uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote uh, Eat, Pray, Love or Eat, Love, Pray or whichever order of things she she did it in, prayed, ate and loved. Um, uh, She, about 10 years ago, gave a, a TED talk And it's about the idea of genius. And I really do. Yeah, I I
1: watched that one. I think you told me to watch
0: that one. I did. I did. And I I encourage everybody to seek it out and find it. And it is about the myth of genius, that genius is not something that you possess, but it is something that passes through you if you are very lucky. Uh, But what just made me think of it now was that she tells an anecdote about Tom Waits, the the, the great singer-songwriter Tom Waits, and that he would be in his car in L.A. on the freeway. Yeah. And he would get an idea and he'd look up to the heavens through the ceiling of his car and he'd be like, can't you see I'm driving right now? Right. Like, like, please go bother somebody else with this moment of inspiration. I can't write it down at the moment. And so um, I've always been struck by that idea that that the ideas possess you. You don't possess them, you know. And um, and so what you're saying feels enormously authentic and so inside of that does your daughter does your husband does everyone kind of get it now like okay get, give mom get you know give kathleen a minute she's got to go deal with this torturous muse that is like you know infecting <laughs> her brain oh
2: yeah i've definitely cut off conversations
0: mid-sentence
2: and grab whatever the closest <laughs> <to> <laughs> right. yeah. hold on i got an yeah. idea oh, my. I thrown my phone to my daughter in the in you know the backseat of the car and been like here we're gonna learn dictation <laughs> and had her like typing out the scenes for me when I was in rush hour traffic and um, because if I have learned that if I do not write it down I will forget it.
1: I was just gonna say that I have I, I even like I'll have an idea and I'll be like I'll never forget this one. Oh, I do every single time. So now I just get that phone out and make a little note. I have, I have hundreds of them in my phone for, um,
2: and my husband got me a waterproof shower notebook.
0: Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's great.
1: Jonathan, you need one of those for your new shower.
0: I know. Yes. I I was (laughs) saying earlier, my, I was telling Julie earlier, my, um, I just endured a month long master bath remodel, and it's uh, it's both wonderful and awful. Wonderful because it's made my life better. Awful because now when I'm in a hurry to go somewhere, I'm always running late because I just don't want to rip myself away from my new bathroom. I just want to like live in there and sleep on the floor and just be happy, um, which is you know like boohoo crazy. Yeah. yeah, which is crazy. Well, you know nothing, nothing. I mean, I'm trying to figure out like what romance we can write that's set entirely in a sexy bathroom. Because surely there is one, right? Like that idea is gold. Well, sexy bathrooms
1: are almost, you almost have to have at least one sexy bathroom scene in every romance.
0: They're ubiquitous. That's
1: true. I I even have sexy bathroom scenes and I don't write... Yeah, my, my my books are
2: mildly sexy, not not erotic. Well, yeah, I want, and
0: I wanted I wanted to talk about that actually. So, was that a very deliberate, conscious thing, or is it just this is what I respond to artistically, and so this is what I'm going to write and 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 stay away from the the more erotic end because it just doesn't inspire you.
2: Um, you know, it it started off with and and again, you can see the progression in my books. So, my first book it's very much um, behind closed doors. And then like the next book, it, it's a little bit more out there. And then by like the fourth or fifth book. It's like, Hey, and then <laughs> <laughs> like the last, I don't know, 20 books there's just like, Hey, it's there, but <laughs> it's not the main focus for me because my poor editor, I mean, I love her to pieces, but she's like, can you please write something a little sexier? And I was like, I just don't think I write it well. And, um, you know, I've tried and, and it, to me, it doesn't sound, you know, like I'll read a, an erotica book. And I'm like, Oh, see, that actually sounds good. You know, like, and I, I read what I read. And I'm like, I don't think that sounds good. Like it doesn't sound sexy to me. And so I'm like, okay. Um, so I, I, I increased it a little bit. Um, and, and so, um, and my editor was like, Oh, okay, good. Um, and, you know, I, I used to vacation with um, Jan Scott, who writes as J.S. Scott and Ruth Cardello, and Callie McKay, who all write much sexier than I did. And so really, they pushed me to to try it. And so I couldn't go the full length, but I could go, you know, I could go a little bit.
0: A little um, bit. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's
2: not, it's, it's you know, I don't know what you call it. It's I don't know. It's probably like an, a low R rating or something sure,
0: like that. Sure, a PG-13 or a soft R.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and because that's just, I, that's just where I'm comfortable at. Sure. Um, Cause I don't want to do it injustice. And I feel like if I went full erotica, it just would be injustice. I don't, I don't feel like I just write that very well.
0: Right. Well, you never want to be disingenuous, right? Like you want to be as yeah. authentic as you can. Have you, uh, how much of your stuff is in audio? Any?
2: Um, all of it is, except for the, that little witchy book that I just put out.
0: And, um, Is it it largely, have you found narrators who you vibe with, who get that, who know how to interpret that um, sensory experience just so, and so you keep going back to them, or do you rotate?
2: No. um, Well, I have, I try to keep them with each series.
0: Um, Right, right, right. And
2: so, um, you know, when I first decided to do, I think I put out like 10 audio books. I did all my first 10 books in audio in 2013, I want to say. And um, and I searched and searched for the right voice, and I just I would know it when I heard it is how I what I said. Sure. And I looked so many voices, and I hit one who uh, you know, uh, Ohio South Carolina guy. Who was a country singer, and um, he was from South Carolina, lived in Ohio, and um, then moved back to South Carolina. So I mean, perfect. You know, he knew not to be twangy my uh, characters don't yeah sure
1: yeah
2: and um and he just he nailed it i mean as soon as i heard his voice I was like was this is it and he has done every single one of my bluegrass books and he's now doing my south carolina books um it's a spin-off of my bluegrass and i was like you know i could i even asked my readers i said should i change it up and they love them so much and i love them so much because it's just his his name is Eric Dove and we just work great together and he just does such a wonderful job. And so I've kept him on for that. But, um, Therese Plummer did my web of lies series. I love I love, I love her too. I mean, she was just fantastic. Um, and so I've used, I've used other narrators for series, but I like to keep them the same throughout the series.
0: Yeah, I think that that's I think that's crucially important. And and certainly finding someone who has your shorthand is 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 really key. And I guess part of the reason I was thinking to ask it is, uh, do you listen to your own audiobooks? And if you do, you probably don't have that prohibition against listening to the sex scenes like Julie does, because <laughs> because they aren't so so uh, obviously sexy, maybe is the way to say it.
2: Right. Um, yeah. No, I do listen to all my audiobooks. Um and I have to tell a funny story about my about one of these is I purposely made one of my characters have a name that was impossible to pronounce and did not think about it. Like it was supposed to be like a funny part in the book that no one could pronounce it, and so they just would shorten it. Totally did not think about what would happen to my narrator how <laughs> to read it. And we were driving down. My, my husband's from Tennessee, and so we were driving down for Thanksgiving. And I was listening to the the you know the the draft of the of the book, and all of a sudden we just looked at each other and went, "Oh my gosh! I know what's coming next." Oh. I totally forgot this, this guy's like you know sixteen letter last name, and, and somehow Eric like pulled it off like without even stumbling. I was like, how on earth did you do that? I immediately called him. I was like, I owe you a bottle of (laughs) bourbon. I I didn't even think about you having to do this.
0: Isn't it great? (laughs) Isn't it great when, when it just comes together like that? It's so great. It's like you're hearing it for the first time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel.
0: So what's in the works next? What's, what's, what's on the docket?
2: Well, I have um, the last of my little uh, witchy books. There's three little novellas. And the last one comes out um, on April 16th. And then I have my next South Carolina book, The Shadows Landing, um, which is really exciting. It's all about a treasure hunter. Oh, nice. Because I mean, if you're from the area, you know, there's actually quite a bit of piracy oh, yeah. going on.
0: Oh, very much. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and so that was a lot of fun to, you know, make up clues to find where this sunken ship is and everything. And of course, you know, there's murder along the way. Um, and so that book is in edits right now. And, and then today I started research on my book that will come out in the fall, um, forever adventure, which is the one about the racetrack and the vet. And so I'm, um, learning all about what racetrack veterinarians do. And more importantly, the bad things they do, <laughs> and yeah. the kind of the, the underbelly of of the race world because that's where my crime is going
0: to be so yeah, we were my wife and I were just talking about this the other day because you know it's it's a world that we have our have our hands in and uh, it is it's it's incredible how I mean the characters in the real world that exist inside the, yeah. the race force game are just the most colorful people you'll ever meet.
1: So the racehorse business is kind of like the romance business, right? They have this secret world going on behind the scenes, right? Just like romance does. So, um, so Kathleen, there's this book you should read if you want to, if you'd like to do research and you want to do research on the track, you should read a book called horse heaven by Jane Smiley. Um, it's fabulous. It's, Okay. It's like one of the best books I've ever read. And the horses are actually, some of them are actually characters. So like you get oh. the you get like the racehorse point of view. Um, oh. So it's kind of cool, but they do have a bad veterinarian in there. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> that's what I'm
2: trying to figure out right now. My, my vet is a good vet, but I'm trying to figure out what if it is, if it's a jockey or if it's, you know, like, I didn't realize how intertwined. I had harness horses growing up, so it's a, it's a different. Oh, that's environment. what yeah, that's,
0: that's what, what our, Jonathan has. Yeah. yeah, that's what our horses are. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. So that's what that's what I had growing up with harness horses, and so I mean I lived at the Red Mile, which is our harness track. Oh,
0: sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a little bit different. This is going to be a thoroughbred track, and so this is where I'm going to try to see you know, learn, okay, well, what are the jockeys like? What are the, the players in the game? Like who who can manipulate things, who would want to manipulate things? And so that's what I'm reading right now and doing research on.
0: Well, uh, we, we, we're sort of at the end of our time-ish, as it were. But before we go, um, if you don't mind, Julie has a question that she would like to ask. Julie, do you have your question?
1: Yep. So I ask everybody the same question at the end and it is, if you knew then what you know now, what would you do different?
2: Oh, let's see. Um, you know, I think it would be, while we did a really good job of being, of having the infrastructure in place, so to say, like a mailing list and stuff. Um, I did my own cover art, uh, for the first three books, um, which I do not recommend. Um, I, I, yeah. And so, um, I had, um, I had a teacher that read over my books and not a professional editor. And so, um, I would have definitely, um, taken the time to, um, get real cover art done and hire real editors and put out, a, you know, a completely polished product as opposed to just a slightly shiny one. Um, and so, while I'm really pleased with how I had everything already set up like, website and blog and mailing list and all that stuff I would have definitely liked to have had um, mm-hmm. the resources and the knowledge to go and hire editors and, and cover artists.
1: Well, back then, back then, nobody really cared. Like, there was yeah. just some awful covers and everybody had typos and it was crazy.
2: Well, because you didn't have, there was no real place to find
1: anyone else. You
2: know, all editors were, you know, all the real professional editors were with uh, traditional publishing houses. And so now, you know, I can, I can call, like, actually it's a funny story. So Ruth Cardello, I don't know if you know her or not. Okay. So Ruthie and I and Melody Ann all came up at the same time. I mean, within like months of each other, Annaritha reached out to me on Twitter and she's like, oh my gosh, I love your book. You need a new cover. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, I have a friend. Um,
0: (laughs) Kathleen Brooks, where can people find you online?
2: I am on uh, my website is Kathleen brooks.com and you can sign up for my mailing list there. If you'd like to know new releases, I only send out when I have something new. Um, and then of course I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So you can find me everywhere.
0: Um, Kathleen.
1: Thank you so
2: much.
0: Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Bye. And there you have it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Kathleen Brooks. Uh, She's really wonderful and obviously writes across a whole very uh, beautiful patchwork uh, of, of fictional scenarios. So please, if you have not checked her work out, By all means, uh, check it out. Follow her on social media. Buy her books. Listen to her books. uh, Be a Kathleen Brooks enthusiast, please. Brooks, remember, Brooks rhymes with books experience with sex. That's right. How you can remember Uh And if you are not already a subscriber, if this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. And please make sure you do click subscribe so that you never miss an episode. These uh, podcasts release every two weeks. Uh, two weeks from today. We will be in conversation with Becca and Krista they the Richie sisters, who we were on a panel with uh, at a Polycon in D.C. just uh, just a little bit ago. And they are (laughs) they're great. Yeah, they're Uh, amazing.
1: They really are. And their
0: their reservation is um, sometimes people can't tell us apart when it's just us talking because we sound so much alike because they're twins. And uh, I can't wait to see what kind of hijinks that uh, that, that unveils for us. Uh, so yes, as, as, as always, thank you for, for everything. We really, really appreciate it and, um, click subscribe, be our friend. If you haven't, uh, picked up Julie's newest book, uh, is it in KU, Julie?
1: It is in KU and, and let's see, it will still be 99 cents when this, um, podcast drop, so better go get it because I'm changing the price this weekend.
0: Get on that shit, motherfuckers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Love Notes is produced by Emily Durr, J.A. Huss, and this guy, also known as Jonathan McLean. Executive producer is Oh My Audiobooks, an imprint of Podium Publishing. Editing is by Troy Odie. Our theme song and music is by Brandon Costello. Special thanks to, uh, to all the sexy people. So, everybody listening, basically, I guess. And finally, the art on our website was made by Julie Huss. Please check it out at lovenotespodcast.com. That is lovenotespodcast.com. Support for Love Notes comes from Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all, wait for it, it's all yours.